Welcome to the 34 Welcome to Make Matriarchy Great Again. As I let our intro flow out, I welcome everyone to our 34 Circe Salon. This is, it's time for Matriarchy After Dark. Yeah. Featuring Dawn, Sam, Alden. Hi, Dawn. Hello. How are you? I am good. We've, we've been having fun with recording tonight. If you folks don't know what's going on, but we're ready to roll and talk about Women pirates. Women pirates, indeed. So indeed. Why is this so dear to you? Why is this topic? Why do you uh, like it so much? Well, you know, who doesn't love uh, the, uh, the the idea of a pirate? You know, they don't uh, they don't have to listen to anybody's rules. They stand at the bow with the wind in their hair. They take what they want. They do what they want, and, you know, they drink a lot of rum. So They're the cool kids. They'd yeah. be the cool kids in high school. They totally are. All right. So the lady pirate or woman pirate, lady pirate sounds like so 1950s. Uh, <laughs> she's a lady lawyer. She's a lady. <laughs> it's, I, like, you know, being in, like I think I've told you, being in quarantine and lockdown, you watch a lot of stuff and i watch a lot of old stuff and i hear a lot of people talk like that in especially early 70s shows as you know the women's lib movement as they called it gets going you hear a lot of lady lawyer lady doctor kind of thing right right um so we've got our women pirates so tell us about them tell you know what um what eras do we find women pirates well um we have a, actually a lot of information about women pirates. When I was looking uh, through my library of books on women warriors, without a doubt, the largest subject that is written about seems to be women pirates. Um, I don't know whether that's because they covered a lot of ground and therefore um, had more uh, contacts and had more historical information, um, you know, more written about them. Or uh, whether it is the sort of romanticism of the pirate um, that made people willing to to talk about, uh, you know, women outlaws in this way. But um, but, you know, just as as people have been going to sea for years and years and years, um, women have uh, been there all the time and. Uh, and even in situations where women weren't supposed to be there, they often found their way. Um, so, so women have always fought and women have always sailed. And women have always sailed, indeed. Um, Do you think that, um, I, I think I mentioned to you, you think that there is something more accessible or believable for people about women pirates too uh, with uh, visa, you know, versus women warriors, who you and I both know there are plenty of on the battlefield. Um, somehow, maybe it seems like that's 
a little more rakish or something which seems to fit preconceived notions of how women could be just throwing it out there I don't know. What do you think? I I wonder. I wonder if it's the idea that this we think of pirates as crafty and cunning and mischievous, and you know we can accept those kind of attributes because we apply those negative attributes to women in different ways, and so maybe mm. that's something where they go, oh well, okay, I could see her being a randy pirate on the deck of a ship or pretending to be a man, perhaps, um, or maybe it's just that it's closer to our era. You know, it's. Um, two centuries ago rather than 2,000 years ago? Well, there were women pirates 2,000 years ago. Of course, yeah. Well, yeah. Let's, why don't we start? Who? Who would that be? Tell us about uh, that. Well, I mean, from the time that people went to sea, there have been pirates. Mm -hmm. um, pirates and smugglers and, uh, you know, people who have just as, just as they do on land um, used their interruption of trade at sea um, to enrich themselves. So one of the first uh, female pirates that we know about is, um, and, you know, again, I don't, I, I'm going to probably butcher the pronunciation, but Elfhild hmm. um, okay. is her name. Uh, oh, heck, even before that, Artemisia. Uh, also Queen Tuta, right? Right, exactly, yeah. I mean, Artemisia was, what, 500 years B.C. or so? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. She was pretty cool. Queen of Helicarnassus. Um, and uh, Artemisia, her name means Spirit of Artemis. Yay, we love Artemis, the Indeed. goddess. Indeed. Well, she, so, yes, was, she, she was. She fought for the Persians, right? She did. She was. Um, she was, you know, queen of a seafaring nation, as as many of the uh, the nations down there in the Mediterranean Sea were, and um, yeah, she. Um, the most famous thing that she is known for is that. Uh, that um, in the middle of a key battle in the Persian War, um, she essentially used subterfuge. Uh, she had she had was on the side fighting with Xerxes against the Greeks, and um, Xerxes and she had she had advised him over and over again to like don't do this battle, don't do this battle, don't do this battle. It's it's not a good it's, you know, not a good chance. We don't have a good chance. Um, but, uh, but apparently, you know, he said, screw it, I'm going to do it. And um, so they were losing the battle at sea and her uh, flagship was being chased uh, by a Greek ship. Mm -hmm. And she had the Greek ships behind her and allies in front of her. So she was essentially trapped and she was going to get, you know, rammed or boarded or whatever. So she decided instead to go ahead and, um, and drive her ship into one of her allies' ships to ram them and sink them and all hands lost. 
so that the Athenian ship that had been following her uh, thought, oh, well, she must be one of ours because she just rammed this, you know, Greek ally ship. And uh, so he left her alone. <laughs> and, uh, wow. and, and she got away and got to rejoin the battle. And, um, and surprisingly, uh, she's not criticized for this. She's actually praised for a very crafty move. That's really, well, that's interesting. I, 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 was it, uh, if I understand it right, was it that Xerxes needed, it was, was looking for a good leader and um, kind of like, I guess, maybe in our own civil war with Lincoln, wanting to find somebody who could fight and ending up with Grant, even though he was a drunkard and all that, but he was a good general. Was it sort of like that? He found this woman who was just crafty and. Well, she was she was one of his allies and had been for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but meaning like he he was he approved of it. Didn't have any problem with her, you know, her actions because. Yes, he 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 rather admired her ability to be ruthless and to do what was necessary in any situation. That's amazing. Now, was he known as having, because I mean, some of, surprisingly, some of the, uh, I shouldn't say surprising, it's surprisingly only because we get a certain story from the victors, you know, the Greeks tell. Right, sure, sure. But the Persian Empire was a pretty egalitarian empire from the things that I've read about it. And uh, was Xerxes someone more disposed, do we know, towards women and women in different kinds of capacities of leadership or I do not know. That is, that is a good question. We'll have I'm to look not, it up. Yeah. We'll put it out there for people. If you know, we want there to you go. If you know so. about Xerxes and whether or not he was predisposed to accepting women, you know, he was Persian. I don't know uh, what that means, but um, yeah, how exactly, because it's, it's interesting because, you know, with, I, uh, you and I've talked about this, the story of, uh, Genghis Khan, known for known in the West for all sorts of barbarisms and atrocities, he actually achieved some amazing uh, heights in civilization. But the interesting interesting thing about him is that he himself personally was a champion of gender equality and female empowerment, which is really unusual because it's not exactly the case within the Mongol culture that you had that, and that certainly when he passed away. Um, it kind of reverted back, but he himself championed his daughters and made sure women were leaders and talked about how you needed both male and female to have a good, strong culture. So who knows? Maybe Xerxes was the same way. Um, well, he certainly had a great admiral. Is there anything else we know about her that's really you know, interesting? Um, in terms of- she's uh, the daughter. Huh? How did it end for her? What, what did well, you- that's sort of the, the major... Um, the major sort of factor that we knew. But, um, you know, the Athenians, the Greeks being who they were, didn't particularly like women leaders. And so, um, yeah, surprise, surprise. So they actually put a price on her head. Oh, my. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, And did they get that price? Did they end up paying for the, did they capture her or did she get away? That's an excellent question. I hope she got away. We'll, we'll assume she got away. That'll be our ending. We'll rewrite history. Well, put a pause on it for just a second, and sure. I will be able to have um, an answer from you. Her, her mother was Cretan, by the way. Oh, interesting. Yeah. 
Interesting. I'm going to note that because that is really fascinating because for um, those who've listened to other podcasts or podcasts to come, you will know that Crete is where the empire of what we call the Minoans, misnomer probably, certainly, um, which was thought to be matriarchal, it's where that empire uh, existed. It's the location of it. it was on Crete. And it's to me, that's very telling that she had a mother who was Cretan. Indeed, yeah. Her father was Helicarnassian and her mother was Cretan. So, let me yeah. write that down. There, you know, it's funny, as we go through all this stuff and you and I talk about it, it's like there's all these really tantalizing connections to these female power groupings and tribes and figures in the ancient world. They you know, it leads me to think there is something to this network of matriarchies or something that has extended and lasted throughout time, at least until it was expunged in the ancient world, or, or as we might like to believe, never really expunged. Just kind of kept sending its messages down the line. through. The yes, ancient. yes, sort of kept bubbling to the surface at uh, various times and places in history. Well, according to Herodotus... Um, the last we heard here of Artemisia, no, she was not captured by the Greeks. Um, Xerxes uh, had such respect for her because she had given him good advice in, in uh, this previous sea battle that when he came to um, when he came to a point where again he needed strategic counsel, he called on her and he asked her if he should, um, follow one of his advisors' counsel and uh, attack uh, the Peloponnese, um, which is a, a peninsula that uh, that is joined to the mainland by um, a little isthmus at Corinth, um, or whether he should go home, Artemisia. Uh, counseled him to go home and um and he followed her advice this time and uh he asked her um to essentially guard his sons as they returned to Ephesus and uh or Ephesus excuse Ephes- me to Ephesus oh, interesting. yes Wait. oh well we'll have to explore what he was doing in Ephesus uh, at that time, so Xerxes was in Ephesus at some point, or he was there. That's where no, he was his sons apparently he sent his sons to Ephesus. Hmm. Um, Ephesus, of course, yeah, being the temple of Artemis, indeed. and having been founded by the Amazons, is the class, is the legendary story oh, of that. Oh, very interesting. This is what I mean. There is something. Yeah. Perhaps we're perhaps we're playing conspiracy theorist tinfoil hat people, but there's a lot of strange links that seem to keep coming back around to the same places or the same groupings or the same locations when we talk about women warriors and matriarchies and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. This um. This is a. There's a. Hang on. I want to take a look at. Pirate Queen Grace O'Malley, we'll get there. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to take a look at the um, attribution here. Oh my goodness, yeah, yeah, there we go. Okay, so um, 
It says Artemisia's advice was most agreeable to Xerxes, um, for it was the expression of his own thoughts. Uh, Personally, I do not think he would have stayed in Greece had all his counselors, men and women alike, urged him to do so. He was much too badly frightened. As it was, he complimented Artemisia and sent her off to Ephesus with his sons, some of his bastards which had accompanied him on the expedition. To look after this children, his children, he also sent his chief eunuchs. It's, it's nice how in the ancient world they just kind of called their illegitimate children, um, just openly, openly referred to them, not just as their kids. It's, yeah, it's, they're kind of our little, you know, so it's. Uh, yeah, these are my bastards. Yeah, and, they, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. Like to meet them. They're, they're really mm-hmm. wonderful. So they're, they're um, good kids. <laughs> God. Um, so that, that's really interesting. So you've got, um, so you've got them going to Ephesus. Now it, this makes me think of because, um, and then, you know, I've heard a little bit of her stories, but Queen Tuta was an Illyrian pirate queen. And I believe, and I have to just, kind of on my end, make sure that I've got that location right. But the Illyrians were located in the same region as um, Ephesus, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, looks like they're closer to Thrace, actually. They're a little bit further. Actually, they're a little bit further east. But Do you see where Halicarnassus is on that? I'm, If I'm not mistaken, and I believe that's Herodotus is also from Halicarnassus. Let me see. Let's see where it is on the map. It is, yes, of course, on the western shores of Anatolia, which is just the region where the Black Sea is. So, yes, once again, we've got, you know, I mean, so much happens in that part of the world. and I think it, what's interesting, and I, I'll talk to Gary about this, a lot of the stuff that happens, you know, the Trojan War and uh, the battles between the Greeks and the people in, in Western Anatolia, you're talking about, in some cases, Greek colonies. So it's kind of like British and Americans having skirmishes. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And you have also, of course, the tie between some of the matriarchies that predate those colonies. And there's, there's where you have a bit of the conflict as well between the different kinds of civilizations. So um, so you've got Queen Tuta, who is an Illyrian pirate. What do we know about her? What's her, what's interesting about her as a warrior of the seas? Of the seas. Um, let me take a look. She's not on my list. If I'm not mistaken, she gave those crazy romans a lot of trouble <laughs> good for so her she, she did i mean eventually uh you know the roman power and the might begins to uh, uh kind of get a stranglehold of it but she she actually uh gave them all sorts of fits disrupting their commerce and their um their trade on the high seas for a long time uh and then rome actually declared war on her so how is her name spelled T-E-U-T-A, like uh, like Teuton, like Teutonic almost. Ah. So I wonder if there's some connection to that. It's a very strange yeah. that that name is so close to the name the Teutons used. Yeah, yeah. 
All right, let's see what um, the fabulous Women Warriors by David E. Jones has to say about Queen Tuta. Tutana, mistress of the people, queen. There you go. So in the land of Illyria, which is present-day Albania, um, lived a pirate leader named Tuta, wife of King Agron of Illyria. Tuta sees rule of Lyria after her husband's death in 231. Interesting because um, Artemisia also commanded her troops after the death of her husband, the king. Because huh, okay. in that region, the tradition was when the husband died, the wife inherited all his goods, all his possessions, and all his power. Very interesting. Yeah. I wonder, so, wonder if that's an echo of an earlier, um, just an earlier framework where she had those goods and powers to begin with. Exactly. So, exactly. You know, it's yeah. Kind of like, or, or similar to uh, what we were discussing earlier with the Celts, that uh, whoever had more power and goods and socioeconomic status going into the marriage um, was the one who uh, who controlled the marriage. Well, interestingly, I'm looking at a map of where the Illyrian um, civilization was, and they are really, they're next door neighbors to the Celts and the Gauls. Well, the Gauls were Celts, so they're next door neighbors of the Celts. So I guess I wouldn't be too surprised if that there is some connection in terms of culture. Right, right. So Tuta's people were similar to the Vikings in that they earned their livelihood through piracy. That was their major income earning. Uh, So they would attack ships and coastal towns um, and would even seize islands along the Greek coast. Mm. So Rome noticed that Tuta was being being a bit of a pest in that area. Um, So they uh, demanded that she cease raiding their ships and uh, Tuta responded that etiquette in her country forbade interfering with anyone's right to make a living. <laughs> okay. So, so uh, when the Rome's emissaries, who had basically, you know, told her to stop, conveyed their irritation at her answer, uh, she had them killed. So <laughs> Rome- Nice. Well, I, we see a common behavior pattern with our female pirates. They're pretty ruthless. <laughs> Indeed. Like the male pirates, of course. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, quick with a blade, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, Roman Greece uh, declared war against her and forced her to withdraw from a number of, um, of the islands that she had, uh, you know, conquered and was occupying. Um. But eventually, uh, they were entered into an agreement with her, similar to the uh, the privateers in later history, where they would pay her for not threatening their ships, but then encourage her to pirate their uh, countries that were also bothering them. Ah, well, not a bad, typically Roman kind of uh, strategy. Indeed, indeed. And so uh, there you go. So she lived out the rest of her days 
um, being paid off by the Romans to leave them alone and pirating everyone else who wasn't paying her off. Not a bad gig. And it's nice that our first two uh, women pirates do not have to live by the Hollywood trope of the tragic warrior woman who, you know, she fights valiantly and then she has to get killed off in the end Indeed. or die tragically. It looks like these two just kind of, you know, went off and lived their exactly. life. Exactly. Pretty... to live their life yeah. and, and had uh, what appeared to be a fairly happy ending. Yeah. Good for them. Good for the la- la- women pirates too. Patriarchy zero. So, okay. So we got a good, we got a good score. That's far. Oh my goodness. Yes. So uh, then there was a Norse Amazon. Uh, Elfhild. So this is now in what? 500 AD or so. Okay. And, um, she, you know, again, grew up in a uh, seafaring culture and, uh, and apparently is considered part of the Norse Amazon tradition, which makes me curious what the Norse Amazon tradition is. I um, think we're, if I had the sound effect of a bell dinging, I would do <laughs> Right? <laughs> We're going to look that up. Uh-huh. I think part of it, as I think, if I'm just going to guess off the top of my head, is there is a long, we talked about it when we talked about the, the Celts. I mean, there mm-hmm. is a long history in Northern and Western Europe of, you've got tribes of warrior women and you've got mythologies that actually extol the idea of like warrior, like women warriors or that, those attributes in women, you know, Freya among the Norse, she's the goddess of love and sex and war. So it's like the old line, get yourself a girl who can do both. Um, So she is, I mean, so you see that kind of character in the Norse tradition. You see it in the Celtic uh, goddesses, you know, the the fighters uh, who are also uh, the love interest. So I'm guessing that's probably where that goes, but I am going to look that up. Because if there is such a thing, we need to know about it. Exactly. And we need to do an episode on it. <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> and I know a person we could invite onto that episode. I'll tell you about that ah, later. Indeed. I think I, know, I think I know who you're talking about. Okay. So Elfhild, unfortunately, does not have as nice an ending where she rides off into the sunset or rolls off into the sunset on the waves. Um, but uh, Grammaticus, uh, or Saxo Grammaticus is his full name, and he was the historian that, that speaks about her life. And uh, she was the daughter of a goth king, so again, coming from the Celt lineage as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, she took to seafaring because um, she had a suitor that she was uh, being encouraged to entertain, and she did not want to entertain him. So she ran off to join the circus, or in this case, the pirates. The sea circus. Um, Uh The sea circus, indeed. So she joined a ship of other women pirates. Real? Well, that's Mm -hmm. fascinating. Yes. And and after spending some time with them and gaining, um, gaining proficiency at her trade, at some point she was, um, on a different vessel that was integrated 
and uh, was elected to be leader. The thing about pirates, you know, again, what was appealing to uh, people who were in societies where their position was very static, where what you were born into determined your fate, mm-hmm. is that pirate ships were actually fairly democratic. The leader, the captain of a pirate ship was um, was elected. That's how uh, Jack Rackham, when we, when we talk about Anne Bonny and Mary Reed down the road, um, that's how Jack Rackham came to be pirate. He was actually the first mate on a pirate ship and uh, the captain of the ship ran away from a fight and the crew met the next day and decided that, um, that he was too cowardly and uh, installed uh, Jack, Jack as their new captain of the pirate ship. So there was, um, not only was there this freedom um, to, uh, you know, to dress as a man for women, um, there was uh, quite a be- bit of racial integration amongst pirates. There were quite a few um, escaped slaves who became pirates. Um, so there was you know, a, a great attraction to piracy in the sense of a type of freedom. Yeah. I, I that, mean, it, that, yeah, a place yeah. where you can go and be, live your potential, perhaps, if, mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. you use that for... And, you know, and, and be expected to work no more or no less than anyone else on the ship and share in the spoils no more or no less than anyone else on the ship. Well, except for the captain who got a share and a half of whatever treasure booty that they, um, that they captured on their raids. But uh, the, you know, the ordinary ships, everyone got an equal share of the booty. So it, you know, there was a lot, uh, there was a lot to piracy to recommend it. Yeah, especially to women, women who wanted to be free and live as they chose outside of a, an imposed framework of patriarchal notions. Exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. It's, it's interesting, I'm looking at, there's a list of Viking Age and medieval pirates, and there are a lot, there actually are a lot from Norway, interesting, so that's part of that mm-hmm. tradition they were talking about, but there is, uh, I see, English and Breton and uh, Norwegian so it's like it's it's it seems like that was an era of you know maybe because of the Viking era you know you've got so many of these women we're now well, and and that. because you know those those nations up by the North Sea you know their their culture has so much seafaring as part of it right that um, it would have been uh, perfectly legitimate for a woman to have skills uh in seafaring because they were so much a part of the life the the economy of those nations right and how yeah that's how people that's their food stuff and how they survive how they trade Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. uh, and, and again looking back through time we we see things a little bit differently when we actually get down to ground level that you will have a lot more of that kind of equality among the sexes in those eras than we expect again that whole 1950s notion is a 1950s notion of gender and we're 
we're seemingly stuck with that still, even though that's not exactly the way the world has been for most of human history. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so unfortunately, um, Elfhild's, uh, the end of her story, um, she was uh, accepted a marriage um, to Alf, A-L-F, which... Uh, not the... Not the- TV series monster. Exactly, uh, exactly. Not the not the Muppet from the TV series. But well, that um, might be great. I'd love to see that TV series. <laughs> is married to a eighth, you know, fifth century Norwegian pirate woman. So right, that, right, yeah. Um, but her um, her close companion and attendant on ship, Groa, also married Alf's uh, friend. So um, they at least uh, stayed together, even though she um, settled down and gave up the the life of a pirate. Oh, too bad for her. But she had a good run. Indeed. Indeed. She had a good run and clearly was quite successful. So um, one would imagine that her life uh, afterward was... Uh, was a very prosperous one. So then we're moving from there. And I think what we might do too is when I maybe I trying to decide where we'll put our list of many of these things, but there's a real interesting list of these pirate women. So we might put that up somewhere. We'll just have to find a place. Stay tuned. Absolutely. Absolutely. As our reference materials. Indeed. Indeed. Thank you for listening to our episode on women pirates in the ancient world. Up next, Women Pirates from the Renaissance through the 18th century and episodes after that with plenty more to come. You'll enjoy it. Thanks for listening. This is Sean Marlon Newcomb and the 34 Circe Salon.